0: Welcome to You Got This, a podcast about teaching and learning and sustaining community for everyone at Thompson Rivers University. I'm your host, Brenna Clark-Gray, Coordinator of Educational Technologies, and this podcast is a project of your friends over at Learning, Technology, and Innovation. We're housed within open learning, but we support the whole campus community. I record this podcast in Te Shwetmuk within the unceded traditional lands of Shwetmukulu where I hope to learn and grow in community with all of you. And this week, uh, this week I'm thinking about overwork and workload and boundaries and how sometimes the boundaries don't work. What the heck are you supposed to do? Anyway, let's get into it. Well, well, well. If it isn't the consequences of my own actions. How's your October going? Mine is a little flail e. <laughs> I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed. You know, back in September, I made this real effort to establish some boundaries around work and to try to protect more of my downtime. And I also have all this vacation time to use up. So I have a bunch of really weird, like, Friday mornings and Tuesday afternoons off. And I thought, okay, I'm going to nail this whole work-life balance thing. But it turns out that if the root problem is a combination of systemic overwork and being a people pleaser who can't say no to anything, then just deciding to work less resolves nothing, (laughs) like nothing at all. The work is still there. It's just not getting done. And what I'm finding is that while I'm still making sure that for the most part, I'm not working in the evenings and I'm prioritizing family time, I'm also waking up at 3am certain that I've dropped a ball. Because I have been dropping a lot of balls. The first time I recorded this essay, I did not have the microphone plugged in. So you're hearing the second round of my chaotic rambling. Boundaries are important. And figuring out work-life balance is important. But it's not always as straightforward as it looks. I really struggle. I struggle with not just saying yes to everything. You know, part of it is that I'm still just really excited about the work I do and grateful to be part of this conversation. I think that I'm always a little bit worried that if I say no to a writing commitment or a conference, that that opportunity is not going to cross my desk again. And it doesn't seem to matter how established I feel. I still carry that around with me. I don't know if that goes away on its own or if you have to Like, do work. It feels like I might have to do work. I don't want to do any more work. (laughs) In a lot of ways, the fall has been really good. It's been nice to spend more time with my kiddo, and I'm enjoying quiet afternoons. But it's easy for the work to encroach bit by bit when I know how anxious I'm going to feel if I don't stay on top of it. And that's a really hard balance to strike. I think that. I need to do some really serious thinking about what projects matter to me and which ones don't. Because what I am also noticing is that in addition to those 3 a.m. panic sessions, I'm also finishing a lot more stuff at the last minute than I'm really comfortable with. Like, I'm a procrastinator. Don't get me wrong. Love a midnight writing deadline. It's my, it's my wheelhouse. But <laughs> it's very rare for me to be working on programming at the last minute, for example. Usually I sort of polish and have that stuff ready to go. But I think that part of what happens when you try to restrict the time spent on tasks without reducing the number of larger tasks is, and maybe this is obvious to everyone else, but the big stuff falls off the side of the desk, right? I've got big, exciting projects I wanna do. And the question is always like, yeah, but when? Yeah, but when? I don't know y'all, this is not really an opening essay so much as it is a place to park my feelings, which you know what? If you want a place to park your feelings, a podcast is a really good place to start. (laughs) The good news is I have an excellent conversation for you today, an engaging and fun chat with Jenna Goddard, who runs our writing center here at TRU and who also will eventually change the world. We have some thoughts in the conversation to follow. I'll let Jenna take it from here. I am here today with Jenna Goddard. Jenna, would you let folks know what you do on campus, what your role is, and where people might have seen you out and about?
1: Absolutely. Uh, Well, I guess it depends on where they might have seen me because I'm often (laughs) at Iron Road, but on campus, Uh, I'm the writing center coordinator. I also teach student success courses. Uh, I've been teaching at TRU for about 14 years. I used to actually teach in the ESL department and for TRU World. So sometimes it feels like I've never left this place.
0: (laughs) So that's really interesting. I didn't realize you had such a history in those other areas. Um, I'm curious about, like, I guess an elevator synopsis of what the Writing Center does. Like, if you're meeting new faculty and they're wondering how to best support students, what, what does the Writing Center do for our students? Oh, well, I love the elevator pitch because I'm always trying to manage
1: expectations of both students and faculty. You edit Um, papers, right? You'll edit my paper for me? (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what we do. We usually try to like impose our voices on the student's voice because we don't want to encourage authentic voice in any way. Yeah, no, that's that's the opposite of what we try to do. Um, So we really just want to encourage students to become more confident writers. And that's kind of the foundation of everything that we do. Um, So, you know, students will come to us Uh, They don't have to have uh, an essay already written. Sometimes they'll just come with an assignment and tutors will meet one-on-one with them for half an hour uh, for a session and give them some feedback, Um, but really just encourage students to think critically about the choices they're making in their writing. Uh, We teach about writing rather than editing, or at least Mm -hmm. the focus should be on teaching. Of course, editing is a small part of sometimes uh, what happens. Uh, We really try to find strengths in the students writing and highlight those so the student knows what they're doing well and can continue to do those. And we really just want to address the fear and vulnerability Mm. and sometimes negative emotions that are attached to writing academic papers. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of that, hey? <laughs> uh, yeah, we don't usually get, you know, students walking in and be like, I'm so happy to be here.
0: <laughs> but usually that's how we hope that they leave. Right? <laughs> it's, it's funny, you know, I taught composition for nine years before coming into this role. and Oh, cool. Yeah, that's my background. And I'm I'm, it's this fascinating thing when you teach in a writing course, because it's like, no one wants to be there. Nobody elected to be there, right? They're there because they need that credit for some purpose. And, and you know, we want them to know that they need the skills yeah. too, right? But so often it's viewed as like this hoop that they jump through. And so on the one hand, we have, we have the writing center as like this amazing resource that they can draw on. But it's still tied up in all of those emotions that come with composition classes and, you know, some grizzled English professor saying, a third of you are going to fail and, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah.
1: And I'm so glad that you comment on the emotional piece because I think often, you know, the emotional part of writing is sometimes, you know, strangely pulled away from from the mm. actual act of writing and it shouldn't be. It should be we should recognize that writing is an emotional thing as well as a technical thing.
0: Mm. I had a colleague at Douglas who always told her class that crying was part of her process. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so I so it, more. it totally. Mine you, Especially for revisions. I'm yeah. terrible at revisions. <laughs> oh, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about how the Writing Center pivoted last year, how you met the the sort of moment of the pandemic with, with services for students? Uh, well,
1: I've tried to block that from my memory, but I'll, <laughs> I'll dig deep and see what I can come up Sorry, with. Sorry, Jenna. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, and you know what, I felt like I was so impressed with the tutors, because
0: mm. here are these
1: students who are not only um, trying to navigate all of the changes in their own classes, all of a sudden, they're navigating these changes to the tutoring sessions as well. And mm. I have to say, it it really showed me because, you know, we've got the tutors, and we have about 30 tutors on our roster. And then we have the Writing Center staff. Uh, and students are so much more flexible. <laughs> it was so impressive to see. I was like, how can we do this? And they're like, oh, we we can totally do this. So mm-hmm. I was able to kind of, um, you know, be bolstered by by their flexibility. Uh, and so what we did was everything went online and we use this. Um, it's called WC Online. It's the just the software that we use for for the Writing Center for students mm. to book their appointments. And and we were really lucky that there's embedded in that software a platform for synchronous tutoring. So oh, nice. we first started off with just asynchronous um, tutoring sessions where students would, you know, upload their paper and then get written feedback from a tutor. But so much is lost in that. So much of mm. the magic in a tutoring session is that connection between tutor and 2T or, Mm. you know, being able to ask questions and have that immediate response. And that was certainly lost. So we were still supporting students, but, you know, we knew that we needed to get better. So So then we kind of went down this rabbit hole of, okay, which platform are we using? Zoom or BlueJeans or Big Blue Button or whatever it is. But yes, WC Online had this platform embedded in it, which was kind of cool because students would just go to this one place, Mm. book their appointment, and then they were able to meet um, synchronously with a tutor. So there was, they could turn on their camera if they felt comfortable. There was also a chat function. And then they would upload their paper to the appointment and then, you know, both tutor and Tuti could work on it together, so we were able to capture a little bit more of that, you know, connection. Although with technology, there are always issues and mm-hmm. and obstacles to overcome. So we were able to pivot. Um, I, I thought, well, um, you know, just acknowledging that it was a really tough time and and people were were learning a lot of new things.
0: No, it's interesting to hear you say that because it echoes a lot of what um, Elizabeth Templeman has said about the supplemental learning instructors.
1: <laughs> well, that's really funny because Elizabeth is my dear
0: friend and mentor, and I feel like
1: a lot of <laughs> things that we would share would be quite similar.
0: Yeah. Well, I got the opportunity to work a fair bit with the with the supplemental learning instructors, just doing like um, you know Moodle workshops and showing yeah. them how to use Moodle from the teacher side of the desk that they don't normally have access to, and all that kind of stuff, and. um I think it was very much the same thing. Like the, the, the the SI folks had so much energy and enthusiasm to meet the moment. And Elizabeth was just kind of like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Your confidence is making me feel like it's possible. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I love that. I do love that. Um, I wonder how it is now moving back to face-to-face. It I, We were talking before we started recording about the range of modalities you're offering. Um, mm. It sounds like you're trying to meet students wherever they are and sort of whatever comfort level they're feeling about being back on campus. We are. And just recognizing that people
1: are going to be having a lot of feelings um, about coming back and... Mm trying to, yeah, as you said, meet students where they are. So offering, you know, in-person tutoring sessions for those people who just are craving that connection, um, safely, of course, both tutor and t wear masks, but also still offering the virtual appointments, mm-hmm. which, you know, we had, we didn't offer those in the past. And that's something that I learned over COVID was, hey, this, here's here's an opportunity to reach more students um, and at different times, because mm-hmm. now we can support students on you know, weekends and evenings. Typically before we would just have appointments available, you know, typical hours of nine to 4.30. And now we are, I think, more accessible. And that's something we certainly learned over COVID. It's really been interesting, though, I think there was a lot of hesitancy at first to book in-person appointments. Mm. Um, And now I look at the schedule and almost nobody wants to have a virtual appointment. Everyone is clamoring for these in-person appointments.
0: That's interesting. It's almost like it took folks like a few weeks to get warmed up and comfortable with the idea of being back, and then it was kind of game on, hey?
1: Oh, and I absolutely understand that. It <laughs> yeah.
0: took me a few weeks to warm up to being back. Yeah, I'm still not 100% there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, I'm interested in how – I don't know how to phrase this. I guess I'm interested in – this podcast is I think the primary listenership, I'm always thrilled when I find out there's a student listening, but the primary listenership does tend to be the staff and faculty of the university. Yeah. And I'm wondering about how you pitch or explain or, you know, how do you let faculty know what to expect from having students supported at the writing center? Because I I suspect, just, just judging from my understanding, of, for example, what the chemistry department at my old institution thought one semester English course should accomplish. I suspect there's a range of expectations around what the Writing Center can or should do for students. Oh, how much time do we have? (laughs) Uh, You know, and
1: Brenna, if you have any suggestions for how I can better reach faculty, Mm. I would just love all of those suggestions. Um, I usually use the faculty list serve to communicate, Mm -hmm. you know, we've got new resources or here are hours or updates to our services. Um, I also (laughs) um, painstakingly go through The course schedule, and I find any instructor who's teaching a writing-related course, and I email them.
0: Oh my goodness! Um,
1: Yeah, so I I make this list, and I I I think it it feels a little bit creepy when I'm like, "Hello, I see that you're teaching a writing-related course." It's like, how do you know that? (laughs) Um, So I'll reach out to them because I love to be able to pop into a class. Um, I I I don't know. Maybe I'm kind of old school that way, but I always think the in-person, face-to-face is going to be more successful mm-hmm. um, and I realize that I can only meet a certain amount of people that way but this way I can manage the expectations not only of the students but also of the faculty members mm-hmm. which is a huge part of of what I need to do because um so we, we track um all this data in the writing center. And a lot most of the time, I think it's about 70% of students hear about the writing center from their instructor. So making Mm -hmm. sure that, you know, the right information is getting out there is really important to me. Um, I often have to mm, manage expectations around, you know, the services, especially around the idea that the writing center is remedial. Because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to to move away from that. I don't want the writing center to be seen as this remedial space where only, quote unquote, bad writers should come. Or, you know, you have that, <laughs> you you talked about that instructor that's like, a third of you will fail. And that same instructor is the one who's like <laughs> taking a red pen to an essay and mm-hmm. being like, you need to go see the writing center. Mm-hmm. I really want it to be a space where, because as we know, that contributes to the feelings of of vulnerability and fear totally. to mm-hmm. enter into a space where they're, they're coming in and, and they're basically saying like, I'm not good at something. And you know, whoever wants to enter a space and proclaim mm-hmm. that. <laughs> we want the Writing Center to be a space where all students feel comfortable coming, where everyone can see the benefit to just sitting down and having a set, second set of eyes on their writing and mm-hmm. to be able to discuss writing and to have a conversation about it as opposed to, we don't want to have this idea that, you know, the tutor is the quote unquote expert, whereas the tutie is that person Mm -hmm. who's sitting there passively receiving these tidbits of um, information about what academic writing looks like. We really want it to be a space where people have conversations about writing and people mm. um, their authentic voice is encouraged and tutors you know don't try to impose again their voice over a student's but encourage them to to think about their writing and how the choices that they make in it you know can can communicate different things.
0: Mm. I like that and I think it, to me that's a great must be a great place where the student tutors are such a gift because they're not just um, helping with all of those skills but they're very concretely modeling that students can do this, right? That this isn't just secret knowledge that the professor has. This is something that you can learn. And that's something I hear all the
1: time from new tutors particularly is, oh, you know, they have this expectation that I'm supposed to know the answer. And I say, Mm. one of the best things that you can do is say to the student, Oh, that's a great question. I'm not sure, but let's figure this out and then show them the process of getting there because a student, you know, then sees, Oh, here's this tutor who's, you know, maybe they perceive them to be an expert. They don't know the answer, but they've seen the process then for, for finding it.
0: Mm. I love this. And I also, I want to circle back to that comment that the writing help isn't remedial. It's, it's sort of fascinating, right? Because like, you don't write anything by yourself. Right? No. Like when writing is done for publication, when writing is done for professional practice, it's never done alone. The only no. time we seem to have this expectation that writing happens as a totally solitary activity is in the classroom.
1: Absolutely. And... I, writing takes place, I think, in a community. And if we can build communities that encourage that and encourage that collaboration and discussion, I, I mean, we're going to have a better institution.
0: Mm, totally. Um, You have this great position where you get to see students, you get to work closely with the student tutors, but you also get to see the students coming in and out of the writing center. And I kind of have this perpetual question, this term, which is like, how are they doing? How are our students doing? Are they Okay. So, let me just correct you. I actually have the best job, not just a great one.
1: I am so lucky to do what I do. Uh, you know, that that's an interesting question um, because I would say it depends on the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I've seen more ups and downs in the day to day versus you know you, you you have the the usual ebb and flow in the semester where there's that excitement at the beginning and and people are like I can do this and then midterms hit and people are like walking zombies and mm-hmm. then finals hit and they're just like crawling down the hallway but it, it's i notice maybe more emotion mm. um and you know of course tutors aren't counselors but again as as i mentioned before creating space for students to be feeling all of the things that are extraneous to what's going on in that one tutoring session and, and being okay with it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, coming in, recognizing that they're stressed and they're stressed about, I don't know, a million different things at this point. So I think tutors are, are recognizing this and also, managing um, those emotions, you know, asking them to take a deep breath, uh, slowing down the pace, kind of those go-tos to create an appointment that's a little bit um, slower maybe and encouraging and encouraging them to come back, um, Mm. helping them feel like they're not alone. So I see... Yeah, I I actually don't really know how to to answer this because I I guess it depends on the day. I see tutors having good days and bad days and students having good days and bad days. I see a lot of appreciation for in-person services again, for sure.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, making that connection, especially, you know, I think about it in relation to Um, students who did first year last year. I've been, this has like been a theme of the last three episodes. I keep asking people about this, but you know, I think about those students a lot because I always think that second year is kind of when you hit your stride and you sort of feel like you have things figured out. Um, Mm -hmm. But we have this whole second year cohort right now who are really kind of like, as far as interacting with the institution, they're kind of like first year students in a lot of ways.
1: Oh, Absolutely.
0: Are you seeing that in the in the way students are kind of like, does it seem like there's a lot more students feeling that kind of what am I doing? Where am I?
1: Actually, I see more excitement um, Aww, because I nice. think <laughs> and I, I don't want to discredit all of the work that faculty put in last year because uh, I knew I was working 15 hour days, but I also I wasn't able to connect with my students like I typically would. You know, I yeah. can see this correlation between how much effort I'm putting into connecting with my students and, you know, what's coming out of that. And mm. I didn't see that last year. So I, I, in my own classroom and in the writing center, I see a lot of excitement like, oh, this is what university is supposed mm. to be like.
0: Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's really, that's, oh, that, that makes my heart feel good. That's good. <laughs> that's, you know, that is an experience that for the students, you know, I think obviously... I think online learning can be and is great, but it's also something um, that needs to be opted into and that people typically choose for all kinds of reasons, right? And so instead of being kind of like, oh, I thought I was going into first year, but instead I'm uh, in my living room with my laptop, (laughs) and that's a really different experience, right? That's a whole set of expectations that are just so, so different. And
1: I, you know, we both went to university. We recognize mm-hmm. that that the experience is so much more than you know what's happening in the classroom. And and they couldn't even have that similar experience of being in the classroom and and meeting people there and then having discussion and those connections being formed. I think I think a lot of people felt so lonely last year. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I did too, even though I ended up loving working from home, mm-hmm. <laughs> like a lot of people did. It was. It was lonely. And so I, I see just connections forming. I see um, and the appreciation and excitement that that those connections kind of um, result in.
0: And it's neat to see those connections being made in these kind of like parallel academic spaces, whether it's supplemental learning or the writing center or any of these resources that exist for students to Kind of expand their academic community and find more supports. I think that's wonderful. Yeah.
1: Oh, sorry. One thing I sorry just came to mind. Yeah. A tutor was talking about this this morning. He said, um, and, and I thought this was a, a, a really interesting observation. He said, you know, a lot of my appointments have. And so he's um, actually a writing center tutor and a peer academic uh, coach, which I can also chat about um, because that happens in the writing center as well. But he said, I have a lot of students coming in who, you know, maybe second year students, like you said, um, did online learning last year. And they're actually just seeking validation or confirmation Mm -hmm. that they're on the right track because Mm -hmm. so much happened in isolation. And it's hard to ask for help. And I think it's harder to ask for help when you're not talking to a real person and when you're, you know, looking for help online. Um, And he said that so many of them are coming in totally on the right track, but not knowing and just wanting someone to say, Hey, yes, this is great. You're doing well. Keep it up.
0: Oh, bless. Oh my gosh. I can totally see that. Yeah. Because just like when you work from home and you aren't engaging with your colleagues in the same kinds of ways, you can wonder if you're on the right track too. Like it's, that's a totally natural and normal reaction, but not one I had thought of before. Yeah. Um. So I have a question about how, as a university community, we can support the work of the Writing Center. So, I mean, we include the Writing Center in the little um, list of things we ask people to put into their Moodle shell. We really encourage people to have kind of a corner, a physical space where resources are, are kept so that students know that they're there and to normalize talking about it. And one of the things we talked about in a session last week or the week before was like actually talking to students about how you made use of resources when you were a student so they can see that that's part of the process but love that I just wonder you know we all I'm looking at a copy of John Warner's "Why why they can't write on my bookshelf right now like we (laughs) all have this perpetual conversation with ourselves about why can't students write but how can we support the active work that's going on in the writing center to kind of encourage that we are really a community of writers is that um, too cheesy? It's a little cheesy. No,
1: no, I, I love the cheese. I'm all about that. And, and I'm all about building that community. I mean, I, I'm often encouraging students to come in to our space and just, you know, make a cup of tea mm. or a cup of hot chocolate. You sit on the couch. We've got plants everywhere. I really want people to see it as a space that they can just come and be and they're recognized mm. and, you know. People care if they show up or not, and they don't have to have an appointment to come and use our space. Um, Because I I actually was an undergraduate student at TRU, and I I didn't ever feel super connected to many spaces on campus, except the library. I love the library, uh, surprisingly. (laughs) (laughs) But. And I think just encouraging them to be part of that community. But what can faculty members do? What I mean, all the things that you just said, like encourage or normalize um, accessing services and, and talk about, you know, oh, I did this um, when I was a student as well, or I wish I had done this. I would have been a much better student. Um, but also those expectations. I mean, I do get the students who show up and say, oh, my instructor... My instructor said I needed, you know, specifically me, um, needed mm. to go see the writing center. You know, encourage all your students to do so. And I know that some, I mean, I work with a lot of faculty members who are so supportive and they invite me in or I can chat about the services. They also... Um, you know, create an assignment and part of that assignment is actually booking an appointment with a tutor Mm -hmm. because that's, it's not just encouraging them to use the service. It's, it's, you know, getting them to form these really good habits because accountability is a huge thing. Um, I was certainly that student who wrote, uh, essays the night before. Oh, yeah, and, same, same. Uh, yeah, I remember <laughs> so just a total sidebar. I remember, um, David Keppel Jones was one of my English profs here at TRU and he was fabulous, but I thought I'd pulled off like this midnight essay and his comment across the top was, this smacks the heady inspiration of midnight. <laughs> like, that is <laughs> such a great comment. <laughs> but we want to, yeah, we want to oh. encourage students to come in and, and see that, you know writing's a process. Take pressure off yourself. You're not going to learn this in this one 30 minute session. You're going to learn this through frequently coming and having conversations about writing and and working on those skills and building them. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I love it when when faculty invite me in, when they can, you know, talk about accessing the services or even tie an assignment to um, the service and managing expectations around who the tutors are and what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, a huge part of what a, my work has been over the last um, two years is is how can we decolonize academic writing spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, I am totally obsessed with uh, with this writer Felicia Rose Chavez, and mm-hmm. she actually just she gave a talk um, recently that I that I was able to host. I was so excited. Oh, nice. I totally fangirled. Um, <laughs> but she she talks about this, you know, wanting to build a community. Of writers um, wanting to push back against white language supremacy Mm -hmm. that disproportionately affects, you know, black students, indigenous students and other um, people of color, and to realize that multiple Englishes is a thing Mm -hmm. uh, that we value and support. Um, and that, you know, we don't expect tutors to be perfect, mm-hmm. just as we don't expect students to be perfect, and that everyone has their strengths, um, and everyone is is growing and learning. And I really value the variety of perspectives we have in the Writing Centre from having a huge diversity of tutors. Mm-hmm. Um, I strategically try to um, promote Tutoring positions to international students or to mm-hmm. students who speak English as a second language. Um, I think that sometimes there's this perception that um, that international students are maybe um, as a deficit, and I and I've just mm-hmm. heard this from from tutors who seem surprised that they've been invited to become a tutor in the writing center, and they thought, you know, oh, I thought it was just uh, like native speakers who who would be in this position, but yeah, so. If faculty could start promoting all of what I just said <laughs> in their classrooms, that would be That'd fabulous.
0: Be <laughs> so I'm about to. I feel like I'm opening a giant can of worms right now, but I, Ooh, let's do you, it. <laughs> it's like, as but as you were talking, I was thinking about this deficit model that so often we approach conversations around international students with. Um, it it echoes to me the same kind of conversations we're always having about academic integrity, right? And this yeah. perception that. You know, there's some really interesting research emerging that it's not actually that international students commit more acts of academic integrity, it's that instructors go after academic uh, international students at a oh, higher faster stronger
1: rate right yes there's a lot of connections between academic integrity and racism mm-hmm. and you know it, academic integrity issues are not international student issues they're mm-hmm. institution issues and mm-hmm. it needs to be addressed by you know it's not the responsibility of the students to shoulder this it's the responsibility of the institution and that means the staff and the admin and the faculty working there to teach it mm-hmm. Sorry, I get really passionate. I sit on the Academic Integrity um, Committee and Task Force. So it's, yeah, definitely my jam or my can of worms.
0: No, I, I agree completely. It's something I'm very passionate about, too. And I, I, I get so frustrated, um, you know, with this language we kind of use around like, oh, we have this culture of academic integrity. Like, no, we don't. We have set of no, rules. we don't. <laughs> <laughs> we have thing. really
1: conflated policies and procedures <laughs> that are difficult for both students and for faculty to manage. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and much like, I think, the way writing gets taught, this often becomes a relationship of policing, right? Uh, and yeah. rather, than, rather than teaching and learning, mm-hmm. how does academic integrity intersect with the work at the Writing Center? It, I mean, it must, right? Tutors must have to have these conversations all the time. Absolutely.
1: And I mean, tutors ask, okay, so what's the best way if I notice for ex- So, well, typically, we won't see... Um, obviously, issues of contract cheating in the writing center. So Mm -hmm. it's really specific to, you know, we'll notice instances of of plagiarism or fabrication. So, Mm -hmm. you know, contract cheating, whole other can of worms that we probably don't want to get into right now. now. Um, But (laughs) uh, yeah, and so we always approach it from and I love it because I'm like, if you just approach things with a lot of positivity and enthusiasm, it'll go over well. <laughs> I buy it, I buy it. Yeah, so tutors might say, hey, I've noticed here that, you know, you've gone and done some other research and that's a great thing. So let's just talk about how to cite it appropriately and give credit. Mm-hmm. So it's indicating to the student that, okay, I can see that you've, you know, cut and pasted this from the internet. Yeah. Let's, and I've noticed it, which means probably your instructor will notice it. But instead of, you know, operating from that, place of you know fear and shame. It's, hey, you know what? Doing research and finding other sources is a good thing, but giving Mm -hmm. credit is also important.
0: I like that. It's almost like it's a skill that everybody can learn and not like a secret box that only a few people can magically open. Definitely. (laughs) That was a tortured metaphor, but I'm going to leave it in. (laughs) Um, Jenna, we're almost at the end of our time. Is there anything else you would want to share with our community about the work that you do or really you know anything that you want to share perhaps just a
1: plug for peer academic coaching which I think is such a fabulous resource and I I think it's underutilized because it's well it's relatively new we actually um um so it's I'm not sure if Elizabeth Templeman from Supplemental Learning talked about it in her podcast with you but So it's something that she and I do, well, actually, let's be honest, mainly she does off the side of her desk, Mm -hmm. but it's this like, it's like if uh, supplemental learning and the writing center had a baby, it would be peer academic coaching.
0: I would love that baby.
1: (laughs) We do love that baby. That baby (laughs) is one of our favorite children. Uh, Okay, this is getting weird. Um, (laughs) So it's basically um, supplemental learning leaders who are, you know, they have some training around working one-to-one with students. So they can sit down with students who, you know, might just be like a first year student or or can be second and third year, but maybe feeling a little bit overwhelmed or, you know, that student who comes to university and they're so motivated and so excited. And then all of the assignments start coming and Mm. and all of the midterms start coming and they just get overwhelmed. And Mm -hmm. I think back to when I was an undergraduate student and, you know, how I studied was to just reread my notes and reread my textbook and probably Mm -hmm. highlight them. And it's not effective. No. <laughs> uh, so, and I wasted a lot of time um, doing that. I always think, oh, I could be such a better student, knowing what I know now. Yeah. Um, so they'll sit and meet with a student and just listen to some of the challenges they're experiencing, and it's all discipline specific. We have these um, coaches from every discipline: law, nursing, um, science, business, arts, on campus. Oh, I think that's all of them. No. Second-guessing myself, um, and so they can a student can meet with with a coach in that discipline, and then you know they'll talk about some of their obstacles or challenges, and then get some really great tips around things like time management or attention management um, or taking notes or how to study or how to take tests or managing test anxiety, and it's a really great resource I think because again it's it's to address that loneliness that a lot of students yeah. feel like, oh, everyone else has their stuff together and yeah. I don't and I'm struggling. So it's nice to sit down with someone who has been there and can give some some great tips and hopefully make their um, their courses a little bit more manageable.
0: Oh, I love that idea. I, I love any situation where we let students um, model success for each other because they're so much better at it than... Ugh. We are our success models, first of all, are probably out of date for what students are experiencing. Yeah. Um, and and second of all, like, they know we've got it figured out. We're employed. Right. It's like, yes, and we don't <laughs> typically have it figured out. I was just thinking yep. about how much I rely on my 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 group chat to be oh, like, yeah. I'm totally overwhelmed right now, and they'll be like, "Have you done your planner this week?" And I'll be like, mm-hmm. "No, I have not done my planner this week. That is why I feel so overwhelmed." Thank you, right? <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> and I love telling students this. It's like even the yeah. faculty and staff don't have it together. Oh my god, no, not at all, not <laughs> at all. Um, that I I'm I love this idea because yeah, that's exactly it. It's that it's that modeling and it's that relationship building and it's that sense that you are part of a community and not just. You're not just here to take classes. You're here to figure all kinds of stuff out. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And what you said about, you know, it's the peer to peer that is, it's, I don't know, I used this word before. It is magical. And Mm. (laughs) speaking of being easy, but it really is. And I think, you know, I'm pushing 40. Nobody wants to hear it from me. They want (laughs) to hear it from their
0: peers. (laughs) It's true. And, you know, I came up through supplemental learning and um, that's where I first started to to teach and to explore the idea of like being in a classroom and it was such a so powerful and empowering um on both sides it was empowering to walk into a a peer-led session and and feel like oh there is that's concrete evidence that someone here has figured out how to do this Mm -hmm. and it was empowering to to be the person who was kind of seen as having enough skill to model, right? Like those are that's feedback that goes far beyond a grade in a oh. class. And right? and then it impacts you for the rest of your life. Oh, I literally think. that's why I do what I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the 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 line between particularly, I mean, it's why I pursue teaching, I think, but even more so faculty support. The line between supplemental instruction and faculty support is like it's 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 a pretty solid line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: yeah and that's it's funny I mean what you're talking about is something I feel so passionately about is that you know it's about encouraging people to be able to see their value and their potential and mm. to grow their confidence and I think I I think I came into Elizabeth Demelman's office once and I was like nothing else matters only building student confidence and she's like take a seat Jenna and yes the skills <laughs> also matter you, you can't just build student confidence in your class that's <laughs> also let's also look at those learning outcomes <laughs>
0: this is so practical i love that i love her (laughs) um this was a fantastic conversation jenna it was also just really inspiring and energizing so i'm so grateful for your time today well now that we're being recorded
1: can we just be friends now because i've always wanted to be your friend
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes let's absolutely be friends i love this the main reason i have a podcast (laughs) is so i can make friends so this is perfect it's a great idea i'm gonna start i'm gonna start
1: my own podcast (laughs)
0: Oh, thanks so much, Jenna. I'm leaving this all in, by the way. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It was so fabulous chatting with you. Thanks, Brenna. Take care. So that is it for season two, episode six of You Got This. As always, if you want to write to us, you can email me. I'm bgray at tru.ca. And I'm also on Twitter at Brenna C Gray. And in both cases, that's gray with an A. All of our show notes and transcripts are posted at yougotthis.trubox.ca. And of course, you can always comment on individual episodes there. I'm going to leave you today with a tiny teaching tip, or maybe just a tiny teaching reminder. Everything I flailed about at the beginning of the episode, I think we need to be mindful of what we model for our students in terms of work-life balance and in terms of saying yes to things. I don't think I've had many models in my career of how to say no. I've been supervised by some pretty remarkable people, My doctoral supervisor is a superstar. Um, And the effect of that is that I don't think she ever needed to say no, (laughs) but I do. Modeling that behavior is really important. I've been lucky. One of the fun things I'm working on right now is I'm on the supervisory committee for a doctoral student at Queens, and we were at her doctoral prospectus defense on Zoom this week. And I got to thinking about all the ways we consciously and unconsciously model what academic success, but also what normative academic behavior looks like. And I'm trying to be more mindful of the different ways of being in these jobs as I work with students more. But I also think this is important for our colleagues, right? We establish the norms of our disciplines together. So making sure that we're doing that in healthy ways is really important. I'm gonna try to figure my S out by next week. (laughs) I'm gonna do my best. I'm hoping you'll be here next week to chat with me. I'm always grateful to have you as a sounding board. And I promise that I'm always trying to model good practice in my own way, too. So until next time, I will meet you right back here next week. And hopefully I will be a more grounded and balanced version of myself. Would you even recognize her? (laughs) Take care of yourselves. We'll talk soon. Bye bye.